You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Without budget support, Ukraine can't win the war. It needs both the military assistance and the budget support. The Chinese are playing hardball here. The United States has been pushing back. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We need to pay the bills that we've already accrued. This is not a conversation about future spending. We're $31 trillion in debt. This debt ceiling's a check on the debt, and our fiscal path is unsustainable. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Congressman Jake Auchincloss, the Democrat from Massachusetts, is here. And we've talked to uh, the congressman about a lot of different issues. This one is specific here. And, Congressman, I I welcome you back. It's great to have you with us here at our new time on Bloomberg Sound On. I want to bring you back as well to that same date, the 17th of April 2020, in the White House briefing room when Dr. Fauci was asked about this very issue about the lab in Wuhan. U.S. intelligence is saying this week that the coronavirus likely came from a level four lab in Wuhan. There's also another report that the NIH under the Obama administration in 2015. Here, let's try this again. This is that same day with Dr. Fauci now being asked. Dr. Fauci, can you address these suggestions or concerns uh, that this virus was somehow man-made, possibly came out of a laboratory in China? You studied this virus. What are the prospects of that? There was a study uh, recently that we can make available to you where a, a group of highly qualified evolutionary virologists looked at the sequences there and the sequences in uh, bats as they evolve. And the mutations that it took to get to the point where it is now is totally consistent with a jump of a species from an animal to a human. So, I mean, the, the paper will be available. I, I don't have the authors right now, but we can make that available to I suspect that the members of the China Select Committee are looking at that paper. Uh, Congressman Auchincloss, welcome back. Uh, I don't know where to start with this. What do you make of this conversation now? So many Americans thought we had moved on from this idea. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to be with you, gentlemen. I think we don't know the origin of this virus, as is evidenced by the fact that the U.S. intelligence community is divided on the subject. But we do know a lot of important and actionable information. Here's what we do know. We know that the Chinese Communist Party lied at the beginning of this virus about its origins and pace of spread. We know that it lied in the middle of COVID. And we know that it lied at the end of COVID 
uh, with its waves and with its uh, refusal to upload salient and timely genetic information. We know that we need to be preparing for zoonotic diseases by increasing R&D and infectious disease uh, aid to developing nations. We also know that we need to be on guard for man-made diseases uh, by increasing our biodefenses. Mm-hmm. So we have important information that we can use to go forward. I want to know, too, about the origin of this pandemic that upended life for the last three years and cost millions of lives and trillions of dollars in economic damage. But that does not mean that we have to be at a standstill while we hear this information. We kind of have to compartmentalize this a bit, though, until we really know, correct? This is a major trading partner, Congressman, and I just wonder what the answers to these questions might mean for our future relationship. It's a major major trading partner, but frankly, that's part of the problem. The defining contest of the 21st century is going to be between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party, and it's foundationally a contest of values. Mm -hmm. The United States was founded upon self-evident and universal truths about inalienable rights and the inherent dignity of the individual. The CCP does not recognize value in individuals. They think people are the pawns of the state, and those values will predicate the entirety of our contest, economic, military, ideological, we need to win. And we need to diversify those trading ties because it's not acceptable for the CCP to have a choke point over critical industries. Hmm. We spoke earlier today with Jamie Dimon, of course, runs J.P. Morgan and has uh, exposure in China. He was asked about doing business there. Uh, and I want to want you to hear his response. It's, it's pretty quick. He was in a noisy room. We spoke to him earlier today at a conference. Here's Jamie Dimon. We obviously have to do whatever the American government asks us to do. And we're trying to engage in a conversation with our own government and with the Chinese government and what those things should be. You know, I'm hoping cooler heads prevail here. But th- that, this is why Ukraine is so important. This can cause it to go in a bad direction rather quickly. Talking about the possibility of China uh, providing weapons, which we've heard quite a bit about from the Biden administration. Congressman, I wonder if if the select committee or if the administration should be giving businesses rules of the road for China. And and should we be telling them that they need to prepare for a potential unwinding? They shouldn't need to be told. It's apparent that uh, relying heavily on China as a single port of failure for supply chains is not an acceptable situation in the 21st century. Businesses need to be diversifying. The United States government needs to be diversifying. Now, that does not mean, let me be clear, that does Mm -hmm. not mean protectionism. We do not want to retrench behind our two oceans and uh, and isolate ourselves from the rest of the world. Actually, quite the opposite. I think part of the antidote to the CCP is deeper trade and investment engagement with the global South, Latin America, Sub-Saharan Africa, Nigeria in particular, Southeast Asia. Taiwan. And that can be economic in nature and the forging of economic alliances, free trade deals and investment ties. It can also be uh, security. We have now in the Indo-Pacific the Quad, which is Australia, the United States, India and Japan coordinating on security. I'd like to see that expanded into uh, South Korea and maybe even Taiwan, because we have got to ensure a free and open Indo-Pacific. And we know that the CCP is not interested in that. They're interested in recreating a set of tributary states that owe them uh, obeisance. You were in Taiwan recently. What did you learn, Congressman? number of things. First and foremost, we have got to be concerned about a one-two punch of energy asphyxiation plus disinformation 
from the Chinese to the Taiwanese island. I think the idea of a amphibious invasion in the near term is uh, not feasible. But what is highly, highly feasible is this idea that the Chinese Communist Party could, in fact, or in law, blockade Taiwanese energy imports while simultaneously pumping disinformation, propaganda, and influence campaigns through Taiwanese traditional and social media to try to basically engineer a coup from the outside in. I think we got to be really concerned about that. And we got to work with our Taiwanese partners to help prepare and deter. Is it right for Kevin McCarthy to bring a delegation to Taiwan? Is Should there be more travel, not less? It's important for the United States government at all levels to demonstrate our commitment to Taiwan. I think we should, for example, be ending double taxation of Taiwanese uh, entities in the United States. We're the only G7 country that does that to Taiwan, and it disincents their investment in our country at a time when we actually want them putting money to work here to help us rebuild our semiconductor manufacturing base. We should be expediting foreign military sales to Taiwan. They've got about $18 billion in backlogged uh, weaponry. We should be working on officer-to-officer training to help prepare a defense in depth for them. And we should be helping them as they try to achieve energy security, because right now they've got two to three weeks of energy reserves on the island. That's that's a tenuous situation. Is the committee going to generate legislation? Is this about seeking information or, or, or is this about action, Congressman, the purpose of this committee? Both. I think, first of all, the committee wants to create shared awareness of the scope and severity of the threat on the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party is waging a long-term, patient, very sophisticated ideological campaign against the United States. They want to upend the rules-based international order that we helped architect after World War II and that has helped spread peace and prosperity to ever more people. That is the nature of the threat. And we got to be very clear-eyed about that. And we have to make sure our colleagues on both sides of the aisle understand that. Number two, we want to create shared conviction around a discrete set of policy recommendations that mm-hmm. 70% of Congress can get behind. And I use that number because hmm. if you get you know, two-thirds of Congress behind something, it's going to transcend any change in administration. That's how you chart long-term strategy. Congressman, we'd like to stay in touch with you. It's important to us to stay in touch with you on what you're up to. So don't be a stranger. Uh, Jake Auchincloss, the Democrat from Massachusetts, he's on the Transportation Committee as well as the China Select Committee as we reassembled our panel with some important thoughts here. We're getting this Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano. It's coming straight from the decision maker uh, in this case again with Jake Auchincloss. This is clearly uh, a very skeptical group of people, Jeannie. It's hard to tell where this is going, particularly, again, if we cannot get definitive answers to the questions we have about COVID. Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, as it pertains to China, out of Congress, we are just hearing ramped up rhetoric in the last several months, if not longer. And I was so glad you asked the representative about Taiwan and his recent visit, because what did we hear just in the last 24 hours? Taipei's defense minister saying they need to prepare for a first shot that China may come up with an excuse to enter and they need to be prepared to defend themselves. So, you know, this China Select Committee that he's on is one of the most important bipartisan committees we've seen in a long time. They're a serious group. And I think your question about whether they're going to be more information gathering, you know, putting forward policy or both is the big question on everybody's mind, because we don't yet know what kind of legislation may come out of this. And quite frankly, it's new. Maybe they don't know yet. But certainly it's an area where we expect in the 118th, we may get some re- 
real legislation out of. Yeah, this is wild stuff here, Rick. Uh, the congressman just said the U.S. should expedite military sales to Taiwan. You'll see that headline on your terminal. As I also read on the terminal, China seeks peaceful reunification with Taiwan in key report. They didn't change any of the language about Taiwan in the annual report to the nation's legislature. This is a collision course then, Rick. Yeah, for sure. I think that that most uh, people involved in uh, policy in the South China Sea have seen this brewing. Um, You know, it it, it is uh, uh, a reunification effort on the part of China. They believe in sovereignty that that Taiwan is, you know, just a vassal state or they want to make it that way. And 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 the other note today is uh, that they presented a budget at the same Congress that you're describing uh, with a significant increase uh, uh, on defense spending aimed at building readiness, which is, you know, what are you getting ready for if it's not an invasion for Taiwan? I don't think the Mongols are coming over the border anytime soon. And so, um, you know, all the all the tea leaves are reading the same thing, which Mm -hmm. is. China is building up its muscle to try and secure the South China Sea as its own pond, and that includes, you know, sovereignty over Taiwan, and and that has massive implications for the United States, uh, both in uh, military awareness of the region and the threat to other nations of democracies that uh, lie near there, but also economic threat. Uh, there's a lot of trading partners. Uh, with China, but there are a lot also with Taiwan in very significant and important strategic industries like the chip business. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I think this is something that it's really good that we have a uh, joint committee on on China. And, and yet there are b- bills being passed every day. House Foreign Affairs Committee just passed one to give power to Biden to get rid of TikTok. And yeah, Mark yeah. Warner in the Senate is, you know, moving legislation around China. So, Uh, It's not the only place you're going to see action in Congress on China. China's parliament, of course, uh, I think you referred to this, Jeannie, the the National People's Congress kicking off uh, the the big uh, annual confab here. It ends on the 13th of March. So we're going to be hearing a lot about China in the news over the next week. General Milley, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, said that President Xi wants the ability to overrun Taiwan by 2027. That's like tomorrow in the grand scheme here, Jeannie. What should we be doing in the meantime? Because it seems to me if that's the case, the more present we are in Taiwan, whether it's Kevin McCarthy or Jake Auchincloss, the better. Yeah, that's right. And and of course, their their meeting is going on while our president is going to be issuing his budget on the 9th. And as Rick mentioned, this is expected to include an increase in defense spending, much of it to be targeted to China and to defending Taiwan. So I think this is what Congress needs to really think about. What is the policy going to be, and the administration as well, as it pertains to confronting China in all of these areas, and remembering that we have deep economic ties there, and they have a big, big issue to to contend with, which is Russia. I mean, China is just, you know, Ben Xi has just had the the president of Belarus over there. He was given a 20-gun salute. You know, they are deepening ties there. We're hearing about deepening ties with Iran, Russia, China. Let's not forget about North Korea. 
All of these things make the challenges we are confronting in China, and of course, as it pertains to Taiwan, that much deeper. And, you know, Millie said by 2027, other people, as we know, have said it could be a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. And the question is, are we in a position to you know, it, it confront that. And, and there is a lot of concern. We are not at this point and neither is the, the rest of the, you know, rules world as the representative was talking about. And we need to get ourselves in that position very, very quickly. It was General Mike Minahan of the U.S. Air Force who said 2025 we should start getting ready for. That's two years earlier than what Mark Milley's even talking about, Rick. What do we need to give Taiwan for the island to prepare? Well, I think this is a, a story that we've played out quite a bit over the last year with Ukraine, right? Mm -hmm. How much weaponry can we um, uh, afford to uh, station uh, yeah. in Taiwan and when? And I think the only real complaint that most people have around the defense community with the Biden administration is they've waited too long to deploy these necessary pieces of equipment to sustain the war against Russia. And so the question is, how does that apply to Taiwan? Let's get Taiwan the necessary means of support that they need to be able mm -hmm. to dissuade the Chinese from a potential invasion. And they and do fly F-16s, don't they? They do, and, and, and they have an order on for more. And yes. so we need to be able to, to timely deliver equipment. And that may be as much a debate that we have to have around how we – uh, allow the defense establishment to operate uh, w without the deadlines that are necessary for the for the Department of Defense to properly function. Yeah. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel. Many thanks to you both. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. To Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So did you see the big Trump speech over the weekend? I mean, it was Saturday night. I don't assume things. Plus, it was almost two hours long. It was like, you know, it was as long as watching a movie. He spoke for an hour and 45 minutes. And, you know, he's talking to a very friendly crowd here. There's been a lot of talk about crowd size. You heard about this, of course. You know, that's one of his great obsessions. He even goes after Ron DeSantis with the crowd size. You know, Ron DeSanctimonious had a crowd in Staten Island today. See, this is just last 139 month. 139 people in Staten Island. We got a lot of people. We have 139 <laughs> times about 30. We got a lot of people here. But I always say hit your enemy a little bit early. Some people say don't. 
but I say do. Which brings us to the great story from Nancy Cook that you can find on the terminal. Trump eases into race with golf, dreaming up DeSantis nicknames. Close your eyes. Picture yourself with Nancy Cook at Mar-a-Lago. Well, actually, you weren't at Mar-a-Lago, were you? You did. I know you were in Florida for some time. Yeah, I spent about a week in Palm Beach working mm-hmm. on two stories, um, basically, just to check in and see, like, what what's the president, former president, really up to yeah. these days? And what I found is basically <laughs> that he plays golf in the mornings, okay. most mornings, at Mar-a-Lago, and then in Palm Beach, and then he spends the afternoon, you know, working, and, and but part of the work working. is... Yeah, no, no, he's working. What are we working on? Well, what he's working on is he's very upset by the lack of media coverage on Fox News. He is spending a bunch of time thinking about how to undercut Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who it looks like is going to be his chief rival. Okay. And so he's is, riffing as much as he's working. He is riffing. And part of that riffing involves, like, you know, his team is compiling all this opposition research on DeSantis. And some of it's very serious about mm-hmm. his record, record as governor. But some of it is uh, Trump really workshopping nicknames for Ron DeSantis. Workshopping. And you actually, yeah, look, we just heard the, the Ron DeSanctimonious seems to be sticking. And the fact that I'm talking to our senior national politics correspondent about this seems somehow corrupt. But we're going to do this, uh, We can Nancy, do it. Because you're not, you're not uh, holed up at the White House. You can talk about anything now. Uh, we had Meatball Ron for a minute. Meatball Ron Did for that a not stick? Is that gone already? That hasn't totally stuck. So the president, former president, is really into the idea of Ron de Sanctimonious. Yeah. He thinks that that is the nickname. And I was told so much so that he will refer, like, in casual conversation to Ron DeSantis just as de Sanctimonious. It'll be like, hey, you know, it'd be like hey, me saying, hey, Joe, pass a coffee. He'll be like, oh, you know, de Sanctimonious in Florida. <laughs> but... His team definitely thinks that that one doesn't hit the bullseye as much. Is that true? Yes. And so they have been talking about other ideas with him. Okay. And some of them are Ron Dishonest. Oh, wow. Ron De-establishment. De-establishment. And, and here's the one that it's a little bit naughty, but yeah. I could see the pre- I could see Trump really lighting on it. It's a tiny D. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. This is from the tiny hands uh, president. He didn't like that nickname. Now he's right. got a chance to flip it on somebody. He does, exactly. And, you know, the point of How did you learn that? Who, who talks to you about this I, stuff? I mean, it's Trump world. You can, there's a lot of people who will talk to you. Uh-huh. I mean, the point of my story, like, the nicknames are so fun. And it's so fun to, like, it's interesting to think about how he is really thinking about taking on DeSantis, who is a very serious rival. Mm. Um, at this point. But I also think the story just shows, you know, how President Trump or former President Trump is spending his time these days. Um, You know, he's really upset about cable news coverage. He's mad at Rupert Murdoch. He's dissing DeSantis. Um, And he still is very hung up on the idea that he did not lose the 2020 election. Mm -hmm. And that is something, you know, on a serious note that his advisors really want him to talk about less. They want him to focus on hitting Biden on the economy. They want him to talk about crime in the U.S. They want him to talk about immigration. Like, these are real problems that you could really draw a contrast mm-hmm. with the Democratic president on. Mm-hmm. But he keeps coming back to the 2020 election. And that could be uh, a liability. And that's why we're seeing other candidates show up, right? Sure. I mean, you had Nikki Haley on stage there. Yep. Mike Pompeo even called him out, mm-hmm. even, you know, by name, and talked about, you know, how we need to go to the look to the future. He said it was indefensible uh the 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 adding to deficits during the trump administration 
my goodness, that wouldn't have happened a couple of years ago. It wouldn't have. And, you know, polls really show Trump still leading the field, um, you know, and then followed by DeSantis. And then yeah. everybody else is sort of polling at single digits. But I do think that, you know, he hasn't been able to sort of get over the election results. And as you said, it creates this opening. And the, what I have found interesting is, you know, a bunch of the people who we think are going to run, like Senator Tim Scott or Governor mm. Ron DeSantis of Florida, they are presenting a really different vision when they're talking to audiences. They're saying, you know, it's more hopeful. It's more like, here's my vision for the future. Do you know what I mean? Here, Governor DeSantis is saying, here's what I did in Florida, and that's good, and that's good. And Trump still has this way of talking about uh, you know, the country that is very dark. You know, his speech at CPAC was very dark and full of comments about retribution and, and the horrible state of the U.S. And so there's always been that contrast between Republicans, uh, between Trump and Democrats. Now we're seeing, even within the Republican field, like a really different tone in rhetoric and how they're talking about mm -hmm. their visions and also just how, what they would do, what the agendas would be. It's interesting you mentioned the retribution line. I was really taken by that. I suspect we're going to hear it a lot, right? This was this is probably going to be in, in the speech for the next year and a half or something. Yeah. Listen to the way Donald Trump put it at CPAC. In 2016, I declared, I am your voice. Today, I add, I am your warrior, I am your justice, and for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution, I am your retribution. Wow. Not going to let this happen. So that's, he's, he's articulating the point that you're making. This is going to be a, not just a retribution tour, but voting for me is the way to give everyone else the middle finger. Right, right. Whereas, Can uh, you win like that? I mean, I suppose I mean, he kind of did how, once. That's how he won in 2016. Yeah. It was a really populist message. He spoke to, you know, working class white voters who did not have a college education, who felt very left behind in huge parts of the country, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Um, and Hence it, the it, visit to East Palestine. Yeah. And it was an extremely effective message. And his team really felt like that East Palestine visit to Ohio was a great moment for them. I will say, though, it's going to be a really long primary for Republicans because, mm. you know, there is this different vision. And he's running against people who have real political experience. You know, a governor of Florida, Tim Scott is a senator, you know, a former vice president. Mike Pompeo was secretary of state. I don't think all of these people will rise up, but yeah. I think that. It's such an interesting moment for the Republican Incredible. Party about like what they're for, both in terms of tone, what they're for in terms of policy. They're really like kind of out in the wilderness trying to figure it out. Who's he golfing with? Is it friends or are these political operatives? The people who work for him? Do we? Is it different every day? Yeah, I think it's different. I mean, I was told he doesn't play like a full. I, I'm not a golfer. It's oh like, yeah, it's 18 holes. Right. right? He's doing nine in the he morning. He does nine and, okay. in the morning. He does nine in the morning. <laughs> Golf carts, we know that. Yeah, he's no actually caddies. a pretty good golfer. So, um, yeah, he usually does nine in the morning and then, you know, comes in. and. I just love they're still taking your calls. And, of course, they are. You have <laughs> you have a unique way of getting to this stuff. We love spending time with you on the air. Don't be a stranger. Nancy Cook, thank you. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. 
Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 5 Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app, or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Still recovering from CPAC weekend, where Donald Trump vowed that the Republican Party would never return to what it was before he transformed it in his image. And yes, he did win the straw poll. Hour and 45 minutes he spoke at the big confab at National Harbor. And made it pretty clear that this, the people who were in the room, this is the base. In 2016, I declared, I am your voice. Today, I add, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. That's the line. I'm not going to let this happen. I am your retribution. He once again dominated the straw poll. The choice is 62%. Of the attendees who participated, 62% compared with 20% for Ron DeSantis. Remembering our conversation last hour with Nancy Cook, not even close, not at least for this crowd. 5% for Johnson, 3% for Haley. Nikki Haley, of course, did speak. You heard those remarks here on the program on Friday. Everybody else at 1% or less. And by the way, that's more than Donald Trump got. Uh, in the Orlando CPAC straw poll last year. Let's bring in Mick Mulvaney, I'm glad to say, is with us, former acting White House chief of staff. He's basically held every job in Washington, former OMB director, also former congressman. Mick, it's great to have you back here. As you watched the the CPAC unfold this time, a lot of folks were saying, well, this really has turned into a Trump rally, that it represents a slice of the Republican Party as opposed to the big tent. Is that true? It is. And by the way, Joe, thanks as always for having me. Keep in mind, we all call it Trump Pack now. It's not really a conservative pack. It's Trump Pack, um, which is reflective in the fact that nobody else besides, I think, Nikki Haley showed up, or at least none of the other leading likely candidates, the Santos, Pence, Pompeo, etc. And, you you know, you've hearkened on that number about the 63%. And what I'm telling you is that that 63% is too low. Hmm. Um, everybody there should have been a Trump fan, and apparently they weren't. Um, in that ad- in that environment, Trump should be winning 85 90% of the vote. Wow. So I'm not sure where the 63 came from. Um, I understood why the number was lower in Florida, because that's Ron DeSantis' home territory. Mm-hmm. But this was in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. DeSantis wasn't there. That number should be higher than 63%. If I'm the Trump team, I'm claiming victory, and you should, because you won by 43 points. Yeah. But the number could have and probably should have been higher. Much said about crowd size. I know that's an obsession of your former boss, and I, I'm not even going to attempt to quantify it. But there were lots of pictures taken from the back of the room. You know, Mick, this is what you do to, to poke the bear a little bit. Is that too a concern uh, if, if you're on Team Trump? 
it is. It, this was not. No, this has turned into an event that used to be pan Republican, mm-hmm. and under uh, Matt Schlapp's leadership, the last couple of years, they sort of thrown in whole hog with Trump, which is fine. That's where the money has been, so you, you can't fault them for that. But the fact that all of the major names, other than Trump, stayed away. Now, Nikki Haley was there, of course. You know, there's some discussion about is she running for Trump's vice president? Did yes, Trump right. Want her in the race. In order to, you know, to, there was some polling data that would indicate she pulls from DeSantis more than Trump, that Trump might lose to DeSantis head-to-head, but can't be beaten with a third party in the race, such as Nikki Haley. So there's some discussions there. But this was a Trump event, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you would think that the turnout was probably of a concern to them, and the numbers are probably concerned to them. What do you think of the baby bonus? Where'd that come from, Nick? Did you hear about this? <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, I did, and that's, that doesn't surprise me. That's actually <laughs> making its way around some conservative intellectual circles, academic circles. It goes back to some things that other countries are doing that are having um, struggling birth rates. I think yeah. Hungary has been doing it for several years. They give a tax bonus, for example. If you have three kids, your taxes go down. You have four kids, you don't ever pay taxes. I think some of the Asian countries are doing it to try and spur uh, growth rates. Uh, Russia has mentioned it and so forth. So it, it's, it's not, it is making its rounds um, in the back rooms of the think tanks and so forth on the right side of the political spectrum. Fascinating. I know Elon Musk has uh, has suggested as much as well that po- you know population growth is a huge concern in this country. It just only Donald Trump would present it the way he did, saying, "You guys, you're lucky men <laughs> here to work for you." But let me ask you, Mick Mulvaney, about the it, it field. It sort of says a lot about his view on child rearing. <laughs> I guess it, <laughs> it sure does. Uh, you know, we heard from Mike Pompeo uh, last week at CPAC. He actually called out. Uh, all of your former boss a couple of times, but we also saw a significant announcement over the weekend. Maybe I'm making too much of it, but a lot of people thought Larry Hogan might run. He's not going to now, and here's how he described or explained his decision to CBS. I didn't want to have a uh, pileup of a bunch of people fighting. Right now you have you know Trump and DeSantis at the top of the field, soaking up all the oxygen, getting all the attention, and then a whole lot of the rest of us in single digits. And uh, the more of them you have, the less chance you have for somebody rising up. I'm guessing you agree with the premise there, Mick, but is that smart politics? You, you know, Chris Sununu said it's not about when you get in, it's about when you get out. Yeah, that's exactly where my head went, because I think that's the exact right line. Uh, Chris was spot on when he, when he said that. It doesn't matter who gets in. It matters how quickly they were to get out. I think Larry is probably very self-aware, recognizing that this is not his Republican Party right now. It's not his time as a Republican right now, um, and that you're much more likely to have the anti-Trump vote go to someone like DeSantis or Haley or Pompeo or Pence, and they would you know, an important but a lesser-known Republican governor from a small state. So um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure what Larry Hogan would have been selling other than the same thing everybody else was selling. Do you see Chris Sununu jumping in? He sure keeps coming back, boy. Everyone's booking Chris Sununu because they. I, th- I think Washington sees him as a potential spoiler. To your point, he's a governor from a smaller state, doesn't have all the name recognition yet, but could pack a punch. No, I disagree. This is the Pete Buttigieg model. This is no the, kidding. I've got a chance. Yeah, this is the. I got a chance to sort of maybe I catch fire, maybe I win a primary, come in second or third in an early state. You know, that's the nice thing about Iowa, and New Hampshire. It's yeah, small town retail politics. You don't need a lot of money. Um, you do well there. You might you know, convey it into a, a cabinet spot. I think I think Chris huh. is a very capable guy, and we'd love to have him in a, in a Republican cabinet. But I don't think he thinks he's actually got a chance to win. 
How about that? Fascinating. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, while you're here, uh, they're talking about this as the most important week of the year with regard to the economy and the markets. Wall Street, we've this for any number of reasons, the jobs report, Jay Powell's testimony uh, among them. We're going to hear two days of testimony from the Fed chair, uh, Mick. Everyone's got a different the market thinks they're smarter than he is. Lawmakers think that they're smarter than he is. He's in a real tough spot here. He, does he need to keep hiking more than we expect? Yeah, he's in a tough spot because he's been wrong, right? I mean, when the inflation wasn't going to be a big deal, then it was, and it wasn't going to be transitory. You know, he's had a difficult. He's got a credibility issue. There's no question. Does he have to keep hmm. hiking? Probably. And here's what I try and explain it to people: the causes of inflation haven't changed that much. If you look back six months, a year ago, what caused inflation? Yeah, okay, we had a, a significant. Uh, supply chain problem. That seems to get working out. You got a report on that just before you went on the air with me. But uh, still a war in Ukraine. In fact, it looks shows no sign of, uh, of slowing down. The sanctions are actually getting more intense. Our domestic energy policy is getting worse. Government spending is still bad. And the job market is actually a lot tighter than it was when inflation started a couple of years back. So if you look at the causes of inflation, you have to ask yourself, why wouldn't you think it would continue for a while? Um, and the Fed, I would assume, is doing the same thing. And you know, their primary tool is to raise interest rates. I think when everything you, you know, you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So I expect that that's what they'll have to do unless, and Joe, this isn't, this is, a, this is, a, I can't get an answer to this out of everybody, unless they're willing to accept a, 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 a consistently higher level than 2%. If they've now shifted their target to 3%, 4%, whatever, huh. then they, they might not raise rates. Or if they're listening to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who said, look, you have a statutory mandate right. to, to maintain full employment. Don't you dare. Uh, create demand destruction because that'll put people out of work and that'll violate the law. So that's a very, or at least your legal mandate. So that'd be an interesting tightrope for him to walk. Yeah, I'd like to know how both are possible and in what reality that is. But I'll tell you what, Mick Mulvaney, as as I mentioned, chief of staff of the White House, former OMB director, former congressman. Do you develop like a facial tick every time someone says the term debt limit? You've been <laughs> on all sides of this thing, Mick. How does this end? Yeah, I, I liked being in charge of the CFPB. We didn't care much about the debt limit at that time. Um, the, how does it end? It ends with it being raised. Okay, It's going to be raised. Okay. There's no question about it. The question is under what terms and conditions. Um, as, as, as much as I would like to see the fiscal hawks win in Washington, D.C., I know they're a minority even within the Republican Party. Um, so I don't see any major, major spending reductions, the likes of which, say, we had back in 2011, 2013. Um, what I think you might get are some smaller concessions, which is the way things should work. If the Republicans control the House, the Democrats control the Senate and the White House, maybe you get a third of what you want. There's no way they're going to get major discretionary uh, reductions. There's no way they're going to get major uh, mandatory reductions, but they might get things like future guidelines on growth. They might get a, a really a, a, a commission with some teeth into it to look into Social Security and Medicare. There are things that the Republicans can and should do to move the ball in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But the time to really fix this was when we had the House, the White House, and the Senate. We didn't do it, so I don't know why they expect to be able to fix it now. The insider view from Mick Mulvaney. Great to have you back, Mick. I understand we're going to do this from time to time, and I'm delighted that you're part of the the new broadcast at the new time. Thanks for being with us, sharing insights here on Bloomberg Radio. You know who is in the room for this CPAC speech that we've been talking about last, what, hour plus? Uh, Mark Niquette, Bloomberg's national politics reporter. He goes to all of these things. In fact, I think he goes to every Trump rally, and this was Trump rally on steroids. And he's with us right now. We wanted to talk to somebody who was actually there. He's doing all this fooling around on Twitter and talking about crowd sizes and all of that. Mick, uh, thank you again for joining us. Mark Niquette, 
I'm I'm guessing you survived. Did they put you in a cage in the back of the room this time? No, but they did have like uh, the media section cornered off, like they usually do at Trump events. I uh-huh. guess just to you know uh, emphasize our, our relative importance in the event. So, what was it like to be there as a journalist? Were did were you were you coming and going as uh, you pleased? Were people heckling you, or was it all of the above? No, it was it was it was fine. I mean, we were able to to cover the event as as sure. we normally do. Um, what was interesting, though, this CPAC was. I would say diminished from previous CPACs. The crowds were definitely smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, even for Trump's speech, uh, maybe only two-thirds of the ballroom was filled. So that's you know, not some liberal media CPAC. narrative, Mark. There there was, I mean, I saw the photographs. I just, I really try to be careful with crowd sizes in Donald Trump, but you're telling me it's real. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put a number on how many were there, but there were clearly empty seats in the, the back of the, the ballroom that they had set up mm-hmm. uh, for Trump's speech. Um, and um, certainly he had the most uh, uh, people attending uh, of, of any session at, at CPAC. Some of the sessions, there were, there were, you know, very few people in attendance. Um, you know, Trump was a big draw, obviously. Yeah. Well, you know, we were just talking to Mick Mulvaney about it. He, he calls it Trump Pack. Spoke earlier with uh, your colleague Nancy Cook, who says, yeah, that's what this thing has become. So what's the future, I guess, of CPAC, uh, Mark? They carry through this this Trump campaign, and then is it redefined again? We're going to have to see. I mean, it, it really has changed over time. It, it, CPAC used to be the place where uh, conservatives went and discussed policy um, right. and, and really got into the weeds about you know, what conservative thinking was on you know, topics of the day and, and foreign policy and such. Um, and, and that's no longer the case. I mean, if you go to CPAC these days, you'll, you'll get um, panel discussions about um, gender identity, yep. um, you know, sort of the, the, the latest, you know, Republican grievances, the stolen election in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's very little discussion about policy. Um, and there, there's some who think in the party that, you know, CPAC has been diminished as a result, that it really only represents, you know, the really hardcore right-wing base um, mm-hmm. element in the party, uh, the base that's closely aligned with Donald Trump. The fact that Ron DeSantis was not there, that uh, that Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell were not there, would reinforce that point of view, no? Yeah, I think the, the, the was thinking on the part of DeSantis in particular that, you know, there was nothing to be gained by going to CPAC, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a, a Trump crowd. Um, DeSantis has been trying to avoid direct confrontation with Trump you know, this early in the campaign. Um, and I think some of the other speakers thought, too, this this is not my crowd. This is Donald Trump's crowd. You know, why should I show up and, and speak there? And, in fact, Nikki Haley um, spoke at CPAC and sure kind did. of paid the price for it. After her speech, she went out uh, into the hall to take some selfies with supporters. And she had a nice, you know, response, a warm welcome yeah. uh, at CPAC. But when she went into the, the hall to take selfies, hecklers started saying, chanting, you know, we want Trump, we want Trump. Oh God. What a way to make a living. Mark, thank you uh, for the insights. Find Mark's column. He wrote about it. Mark Niquette on the terminal. Trump vows to finish mission. Cements dominance over CPAC. You better believe it. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+.